Bibles out and turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. We're returning into the book of Luke. And I'm going to read chapter 4, verses 38 through 44. Let's begin by praying. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to spend time in your word. Might we benefit from the preparations I've committed to in uh, the preaching of your word, the reading of your word. Amen. Luke 4, verses 38 through 44 says this, And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, And they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have, him, would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. You may be seated. So it's it's still the Sabbath. Um, last time I preached in Luke four, it was Jesus in the synagogue in Cap. In Capernaum, not in in Nazareth where he had been previously, but in Capernaum, and uh, and he casts a, a demon out. He rebukes this demon from this fella, and then reports go out about him, like you got to be kidding me. And so as we we continue reading now, it is still that same Sabbath day when Jesus comes to Simon's house, Simon Peter. And and, and when he got there, Simon's mother-in-law is is stretched out, sick, burning up with fever. The question is, what could be done for her on this particular day of the week, right? Right? The Sabbath day. It meant, it meant work to heal her, if that's what Jesus intends to do here, which we know he does. And perhaps if it were another day, um, they would have taken her to a, a doctor, a physician, or brought one to her. You, you do see here that the rest of them didn't miss synagogue to stay with her. Maybe somebody did. Simon didn't. Jesus didn't. It's hard to say what could have happened, right? We only know what did.
did happen. What we should know is that work on the Sabbath for most of our vocations is forbidden. It's forbidden. And when I say Sabbath, make no mistake, I would apply that same thing to the Lord's Day. I think it's misguided to try to separate the two as if they were completely different entities. The Sabbath, the seventh day, the one in seven days began before the law ever existed. This was God's creation, six days plus one. So we should know that work on the Sabbath for most of our vacations is forbidden. Even to plan your work for the coming week is to work. Also, around the house work should be refrained from. It's all to be replaced by the higher opportunity, the privilege of rest and worship. The rare exceptions regarding work on the Sabbath, at least according to our Reformed tradition, the rare exceptions are that man is permitted to work, or should I say, to do the works of mercy and necessity. The Puritan Thomas Vincent fleshes what that means. He fleshes out what it means works of necessity and and mercy. He says they include works such as eating, drinking, defending ourselves from enemies, should they attack, right? Quenching the fire of a house, should it be set aflame. Those are works of necessity. Also works of mercy is visiting the sick, perhaps, relieving the poor, maybe feeding cattle and the like. In regard to works of necessity like eating and drinking, etc., people actually made preparation for those things the day prior to the Sabbath, right? The day prior on Friday, Friday all the way up to sunset when the Sabbath would begin, which was Friday evening all the way till Saturday evening. That's the Sabbath. Different for us, the Lord's Day was the first day of the week, not the seventh day of the week. But they would make preparation for those works of necessity ahead of time. The priority was on rest and worship for all, the entire household, including mom. And your neighbor. In regard to mercy, this type of work was also done to promote rest. Visiting the sick, feeding cattle, healing a person, casting out a demon, these gave rest, didn't they, to the one who was in need of such help. I suggest Christian, you apply these two principles to your own Sabbath or Lord's Day observance. Plan the day for rest and worship and godly fellowship 
plan ahead for it. Think on what you're going to eat ahead of time. Keep it from being labor-intense for you or another. This is a day of rest and worship. And though there is a place for feeding animals and pulling them out of a pit and all, if they are part of your household, keep it simple. If one is a farmer, this doesn't mean that he can treat the Sabbath like it's just another day of the week for him. That's wrong-headed. Also, tend to your sick, whether man or beast, but within reason. For sickness travels with us for days and sometimes weeks and months, doesn't it? Here, Simon's mother was sick. It didn't prevent Simon or Jesus from going to worship in the synagogue that day. So put your healing in line with God's seven-day weekly order. It certainly is unhelpful, and I, it's, it's quite dismaying today that hospitals and clinics have begun to schedule routine appointments and tests for the Lord's Day when they can be done six other days of the week. What that shows is a contempt for God or that God means nothing to some people. I think only severe cases and sudden Injuries should cause us to involve a physician, lab work, or perhaps nursing staff, a stubbed toe, a fever, sore throat, aching back, ongoing disease. These can wait until after the Lord's Day, can't they? We should use reasonable judgment there. Also consider... Is it proper to employ others to work on the Lord's Day for your benefit? Or so you don't have to. I'll let them work. Maybe they're not Christian anyhow, you might say. Well, I'm a business owner. Does God permit me to require employees to work on the Lord's Day? I mean, as long as I'm not working. I hardly think so. But then how is that different from me going to Walmart or McDonald's, where other employers are requiring their employees to work for me? Make no mistake. Our liberated views today of what the Lord's Day should look like. They don't come from a healthy culture. They're spawned by people who are rebels against God. And I understand there are dif some difficult questions to be asked and answered. But if we truly want to embrace Lord's, Day's, Lord's Day observance and confine work to that of necessity and mercy, then ask those difficult questions. 
you'll be doing better than most. And I suggest the bar is not very high in our culture. Most don't concern themselves with these things. Jesus was not not a Sabbath breaker, no matter what any preacher will tell you. He was not a Sabbath breaker. He gets accused of breaking the Sabbath at different times as he's healing or casting out a demon or picking grain to eat as he's walking with his disciples. He was a Sabbath keeper. And seeing Simon Peter's mother-in-law with her high fever, he was moved by mercy. Work of mercy to rebuke, it says, the fever. I thought that was kind of interesting. Almost as if little, the little bugs inside of her had their own personalities and would be forced to comply with what Jesus told them they must do. The result? The fever left her. The bugs scrammed. She immediately got up and served them with food. It's conjecture. So we conclude that this was a work of mercy on Jesus' part and maybe necessity. For Jesus was not a Sabbath breaker. He was not a Sabbath breaker. Nor do I think he would encourage others to break the Sabbath for him. Well, there were works of mercy to be done. We read in verse 40, now when the sun was setting, okay, could have been after the Sabbath, basically, ramping up here. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God, but he rebuked them, would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Christ. So he healed Peter's mother-in-law, And now the rest of this ailing community of Capernaum come flooding to Peter's house like so many streams flowing to reach God's sea of mercy. Jesus healed people who had diseases. He cast out demons from others who had been carrying them around in their persons. And he rebuked those parting spirits Two, as they were forced out of their human host, he would not permit them to say too much about who he was. These things all began to happen, as I said, at sunset of the Sabbath, and presumably thereafter, as it likely spilled well into the night. And the Sabbath was counted by the Jews, as I said, from sunset to sunset. Those coming to Jesus came with the things that were severely important to them. When uh, you are desperately sick, 
you want relief. There's not too many things that you want more at that time. And you become acutely aware of, of all of a sudden of law, life's raw essentials. Okay, when you're captive, right? Taken captive. When you're sick, you're oppressed or possessed. All of a sudden, you know what you need. And those coming to Jesus are at that urgent place here. They've been, they've been boiled down and left in a pot like a dry potato. But sometimes that's better than being happily numb toward God in your life, isn't it? That's better than being happily numb toward God in your life, thinking, oh, the world is my oyster. No, I suggest you pray that God boils things down regularly to merely you and him. Doesn't have to be extreme sickness. Doesn't have to involve some demon, right? Doesn't have to be a disease or some major accident, I hope. Sometimes it has to be those things for you to get boiled down to be with God. It shouldn't have to be. But when it's just you and him, you get perspective back. The more often he boils things down, the better you keep your perspective. The things Jesus performed for these ones in Capernaum is the fruitful work he came to perform. He came to earth to perform these things. It was healing, work. He was fixing broken things. It was mercy work. The prophet Isaiah, who Jesus quoted when he was up in Nazareth in the synagogue, the prophet Isaiah spoke of Messiah's mission when he announced, quote, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He read that on a different Sabbath in Nazareth. He applied it to himself. Luke records it earlier, right here in chapter 4. As you consider who Jesus is now, you should come away from this text with a full appreciation of what he is willing to do and capable of doing still. The Son of God is our ever-present Savior, King, Redeemer, and Healer. He still heals. He still releases prisoners. He still dispatches evil spirits from people, but also good spirits to assist people. This means I su suggest that we don't have to worry about sickness 
and diseases and demons and hauntings and possessions and oppressions as if we are left orphans with no Messiah. Sometimes we get so nervous about the negative possibilities out there. What about this? Yet isn't it true that all things that might want to oppose us, isn't it true that all things that might want to oppose us, he must permit? And if he allows some dark thing to happen to you or to me, then he must have his good intention for it. An example. Some Christians think we should offer prayers against the potential of demonic spirits and their hauntings of places and buildings and people, etc. But I wonder why we must start out of the gate thinking of bad omens instead of our good God. Why do we think that way? (gasps) What if? We should maybe pray against it. I feel like we should start by thinking Jesus is on our side, our provider, our protector, healer, and friend. We should begin by recognizing that all powers, authorities, and realms forever answer to him. Now, this doesn't mean that we should lack vigilant Vigilance in our daily life and prayers, as Paul advises the Thessalonians, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. We should be unceasing in prayer and in gratitude. Make no mistake. And then if Jesus decides to permit illness, okay, or disease or spiritual interference in our lives, we must walk into it. We must lean into it, but leaning on the everlasting arms. We should not avoid participation in matters of healing and prayer and obedience and even the casting out of demons. We should not avoid those things. Nonetheless, let us start by first trusting him for our good in all matters. We need not expect the worst in things, but the best. Also, the Apostle Paul reassures us in Romans 8, 26 through 28, of how the Spirit, how he helps us in our weakness. For we do not know, Paul says, what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. With that, I remind you of Charles Spurgeon's quote. The prayer is measured, sorry, the prayer is measured with what, sorry, I better go back to the bulletin. True prayer is measured by weight and not by length. 
A single groan before God may have more fullness of prayer in it than a fine oration of great length. So then Jesus was doing works of mercy for all who were brought to him. The kingdom of heaven had come mightily upon the people of Capernaum. It was a very busy evening. Which makes me want to ask you, Christian, have you ever been so busy doing the Lord's things that you have no time for the Lord? I should repeat that, and you should hear it. Have you ever been so busy doing the Lord's things that you have no time for the Lord? Oh, that is no good. If any one of, if any one of us gets so busy with the things of God, quotes, that we spend no time enjoying Him in His nearness, then I fear that the things we think we are accomplishing will not be accomplished, or at least not be blessed by him in the way we'd hope for. If we do not find ourselves regularly near to God, then before long our busyness will look more like the pursuit of self. We've got to know our place. We have been created for Him. He has not been given to us to do with Him as we please or to ignore. In fact, any good thing depends upon Him and His nearness to the cause. Jesus knew this. Okay, It's apparent throughout His ministry, and we see it in our final verses here. In verse 42, it says, And when it was day, he departed and went to a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him, and, he would have, and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. And so, The key to Jesus' successful ministry is that he wanted to be about his father's business. He told us that somewhere, but... He also wanted to be with his father. That's what I want you to hear. Jesus took opportunity for time alone with God. He made it happen. I'm too busy. B.S. That's the most foolish thing you could possibly say. Jesus made it happen. He knew who buttered his bread, and he went to him often with bare slices. This is what Luke is driving at when he mentions that Jesus departed and went into a desolate place. He was getting away from the crowd and the hustle-bustle a solitary place removes distractions. It gets the bustle out of your head. Surely it takes moments of solitude to be right with God. 
for him to apply those drops of oil to your dry soul. If his father wasn't in the works of his ministry, then the works would be empty and for nothing, fruitless, and wouldn't matter at all. Jesus would rather lay bare his life before God. And he did it frequently. That is how you get perspective. Going out to a desolate place meant that Jesus wanted to have things put into proper perspective by his Father. It was with the Father, by prayer, that Jesus became assured. Friends, life is supposed to be lived with God. He did not make us to run around working, exploring, making, enjoying, building, and taking things in on our own as if for him, and then hand it over at life's end as if we're finished now and we did good. No, we are to live with him. We've not been given breath to build a life for him if it's not with him. It's all for him. It's all about him. And I think we can learn how to do this from our Lord's example. Go to where it is, desolate, right? To be with God. It may be at night with your spouse sleeping right beside you, if you have a spouse. That might be your desolate spot. Or in the morning, early morning, before others awake and scurry around and call your attention. That might be your desolate place. Maybe a parked car at some cemetery or in a store parking lot. Get away from all that distracts you. And keep from tapping open that stupid smartphone. Except maybe to take notes of the things God's Spirit is impressing upon you. That serves a good purpose. You make it important to go find those desolate places to pray and listen. You get to be with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus got that. That's what he depended upon. And so should we. Let us pray. Lord, I ask that you would indeed make us people who seek after you, that we don't just in our lives live for you, but we live with you. Um, I, I pray that we would learn the value of getting that time set aside regularly. That it wouldn't, it wouldn't take something like a disease or a demon or, or whatever else that would force us to realize just how essential coming to you is. Pray this in Jesus' name.